0: Well, let's begin and we'll let people come in as they, uh, as they can. This is uh, Lesson 10. Today is the 3rd of November, 2007, and our discussion will be uh, actually in, uh, it's, this is Matthew Part 1, Lesson 10. This, our discussion will also be in Chapter 10. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we thank you that you have uh, given us... A mission that you have given us a purpose, and that you have created us for this purpose. And Father, we understand that our purpose is to do your will. Father, we thank you that you have given us an opportunity to be uh, at work with you, and that in your in your work of creation, which you did uh, without anyone. And Father, yet now you have given us an opportunity in your work of redemption. And we thank you that you have called us and given us. Uh, a opportunity to be side-by-side side with you in this endeavor. Father, we thank you that you have done all that is required to redeem us and to purchase us. And Father, we ask that we might fulfill our purpose, our purpose to glorify and to fulfill your will. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. This is a very important chapter, and this is why we're breaking uh, at... Chapter 10, and then going back and going through the, the first 10 chapters again just to uh, cement it. Um, those of you who are involved in education know that repetition is the key to learning. We repeat a lot, don't we? And that's good because. Uh, we are thick-skinned and stiff-necked, and we do not learn. We do not learn. I'm speaking for myself. I say we, but I really should say I am thick-skinned and and, and stiff-necked. I do not learn easily. It usually takes difficult things uh, to learn, uh, which is why we do do homework, although... I know that some of you don't, and that's fine. Uh, I trust you're spending time studying or or, uh, endeavoring to study in in other ways, and that's sufficient. Our time this morning, though, is going to be spent in chapter 10 of Matthew. Isaiah 6, 8 through 9 is a great chapter to understand what it is to be a sent one. Also I heard the voice of Hashem, the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send? And the word there, the Hebrew, is shalach. And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Isaiah 6, 8 through 9. And actually, I need to go a little bit further than that. If you know Isaiah 6, this is where we get the... uh, The concept of kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The the angels, the seraphim, uh, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Actually, verse 9. He said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. And their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Then I said, How long, Lord? He answered, Until the cities are made waste and without inhabitants, the houses are without a man, the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return, and be for consuming. As a terebinth tree, or as an oak, whose stump remains when it's cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. I mean, there's a lot of people who, who have used the idea of the kingdom offer in the first century, in Yeshua's uh, ministry, as a uh, as a bludgeon against the Jewish people nationally and and individually, uh, to say, you had it staring you in the face, and how stupid could you be, you didn't see it? And uh, we know that this is absolutely false. That there were many that saw it. Yes. And they were of Jewish descent. Uh, Gentiles were not added into the kingdom in clear, unmistakable terms for ten years after Yeshua's resurrection. At the first assembly, uh, first assemblies were 100% Jewish or proselytes uh, and that national Israel much of national Israel in fact did many many did recognize him as Messiah it was a great messianic uh, messianic movement of that time uh, what we read in the book of Acts in chapter 21 is that myriads and myriads living within Jerusalem and this would be at about the year sixty of the common era. We're following Yeshua. And we were Jewish, one hundred percent. Jerusalemites, and when it says myriads and myriads in the Hebrew, it means tens of tens of thousands. The population of Jerusalem, other than festival time at the time, was about forty to fifty thousand. So that means up to half the population of Jerusalem. We're believers and followers of Messiah. This is a significant movement within Judaism. And uh, so so the, uh, the arguments and the polemic have proven themselves to be false if one just simply looks at history. But if you look at the book of Matthew, it does as well. And let's look at that. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about a mission. Yeshua has a message that he's bringing. It is a mission. The mission is not about showing miracles to prove he's Messiah, is it? This is an interesting problem. We're going to look at it today. Why does he not want people to know he's Messiah? Aren't the miracles to prove he's Messiah? We We saw that his Messiahship is not proven by miracles, is it? If we look for miracles, we will be deceived. True? Yeah. We see miracles. There's no question. But are miracles the proof that God is at work? No, they're not. Because, because we know the enemy is capable of the supernatural miracle as well. So what is it that we know? How do we know? How, what validates a speaker? What validates you? You go tell someone at work. You want them to know the good news. That's Right. It's not what you say, is it? What validates you? What you do. How you live. It is consistent with what you say. Correct? Uh, when, do, when are you being validated? Only when people are looking at you? No. You're being validated all the time, aren't you? So, it is a consistent life. That is what validates. Yeshua's message, the message of Messiah, the authority of Messiah is established by, first of all, his obedience. Is obedience period that's exactly what Deuteronomy 13 teaches us is that a prophet can come and he can have miracles and wonderful things but what establishes that he is truly a prophet said from God that he doesn't lead you away from God from the commandments of God there are some who believe that Yeshua came to undo Moses as they would call it that would be completely and utterly unacceptable according to Moses Words in Deuteronomy, right? God's words that Moses wrote down. Why? Because then anybody could come and say, "I got something great." You know, you didn't get the full picture. Let me give you the full picture, and we'd all be Mormons today, or something else weird. Right? It is established by God's words that He spoke, and obedience to God's words. Yeshua is is the perfectly obedient prophet. And as such, he proves this his Messiahship. What is this gospel message that comes? In chapter 10, this is the second of his five sermons in the book of Matthew. When I say sermons, it's just discourses whereby he he sits and teaches for an extended period of time, rather than simply answering questions, right? He speaks and doesn't simply respond. He is the initiator in these five uh, discourses throughout the book of Matthew. This is the second. What was the first? What chapters? Five six, five six, and seven, what some people call the Sermon on the Mount, or as in Luke is called the Sermon on the plain, so the Sermon on the Mount is his first sermon or discourse in the book of Matthew. This is his second okay chapter ten um, in this he is actually sending his disciples out, his almadine, his disciples out you if you did your homework, you know the word disciple is is uh, much different than than uh, Oftentimes it's conveyed in English, right? <laughs> but he sends them out with a mission. It's the same mission he's been on. It's the same mission that God has always had his prophets on. It's interesting that here we have Messiah on that same mission. People don't usually think of that. I'm supposed to be like him. I'm supposed to do what he did. What did he do? He was sent. It's his primary his primary. His primary mission was to be sent. To be sent. We think of him as a savior, a redeemer, and he is. But to do that, he had to be sent. So sending is a very important thing in this. And he comes also with this mission, this gospel, this kingdom offer. Now, this is where we have to be careful and we have to be uh, uh, Loving of those who maybe not agree with this idea, but what we do need to understand is that the gospel message it is it is anachronistic to imagine in your mind these ten these excuse me these twelve uh, disciples being sent out with the message uh, raise your hand if you accept Jesus as Messiah. <laughs> it's it's just anachronistic. I mean it it, it doesn't fit in time. It does, it's 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 incomprehensible. What were they sent to say? Was there any message we're going to look at it here in a second, but just as an overview of those of you did your homework, was there any place where he said a reference to him even that's an interesting thought, isn't it <laughs> What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to go with this message, and this is why this is why we 're spending time in the introduction it 's the same message we 've been seeing all along. We saw it first in Matthew chapter in Matthew chapter three, right with Yochanan, the immerser, John, the baptizer, right? What did we see? This one message: repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel message. Always, it's always a gospel message. It's good news. Why is that good news? Repent. You need to obey. (laughs) You know, repent because the king's coming. That's good news. You know, it's kind of like people saying, you know, we've had, we've been having a party here in the vineyard, and the master's on the way home, and oh no, everybody put everything up. Exactly. That's a good news message. <laughs> Why is that a good news message? We're never happiest when we're disobeying, are we? <laughs> the party was seemed fun at the time, but afterwards, like, wow, was that out of hand? We we definitely messed the world up, didn't we? Yeah. So repent. The kingdom is at hand is in fact good news. Why? Because living under the king is always good. Living with the king as reigning in our lives and in the world is best so that's the message that's the message that we're going to talk about today let's go to Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 you know that there are no chapters in the holy scriptures there are no chapters there are no verses yeah. it is why is it is why uh, the parasha the sidra, the weekly readings, are identified by a word or a phrase, but usually a word or phrase found somewhere at the beginning of a passage. Why? Because you've got to be talking about what we're talking about. So when I say Lecha, everybody goes, Oh yes, we're talking about the passages about Abraham being sent from Ur- to the promised land. That's what we're talking about when I say lekkachah as opposed to Genesis chapter 12 verse actually I think it's earlier in that. Genesis chapter uh, 12 verse such and such. Right? We Instead of that we actually identify it by phrase. And that's exactly the way scriptures have been until uh, probably I don't know 4th 5th centuries, they were started to be uh, uh, codified and was broken into uh, verses, chapters, or whatever else. Now everybody uses the chapters and verses, but it's kind of unfortunate because sometimes the chapters and verses break the wrong place. Chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Uh, first of all, we need to see is that chapter 10, verse 1, is not hanging all by itself. It goes back to cha- chapter 9. Verse thirty-seven to thirty-eight, and he said to his disciples, "The harvest truly is plentiful, but laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." And when he had called twelve disciples to him, he gave them power. So, who are these? Who are these twelve? First of all, they're laborers, aren't they? They're not masters and leaders. No, they're worker bees. They're nothing's. Mm. They're disciples. What is the difference between a disciple in English and a talmidin in, in Hebrew? Or talmidin? Talmid is singular. What is the difference? If I were to spank my children, and yes, I did. And do. If I were to spank my children, would I be disciplining them? Ooh, sounds bad, right? <laughs> Actually, it's only if you're a child, I suppose, <laughs> but discipline we think is something harsh or bad, right? You think about discipline and you think of uh, you know you think of uh, a rod oh yeah, yeah. Uh, actually that's not a bad thought. keep that thought for a moment. What else do you think about when I say a disciple? who are the twelve disciples? Those are the leaders of 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 how? that's right the leaders of faith I mean in fact, it says that that we that we are built upon the twelve apostles. Well, it's the same guys, right? The twelve apostles with Yeshua as the chief cornerstone. So they're like the they're like the foundation. They're like a vote, the fathers, right? Well, is that what the word disciple means? No. What's the word disciple? What's talmid? What's a Talmud? It's a student. A Talmud. And do we did they ever stop being? being students those who were being instructed no they never stopped well yes as soon as he was resurrected they got a new title right apostle the purpose of this week's lesson one purpose is to point out what that apostles are not an office. It's not like, okay, I graduated. I'm no longer a disciple. Now I'm an apostle. Now, whoa, yeah, a raise. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you apply for this job? I mean, really, you've got to go interview for it. I can see targeted selection. Hello, I'm here, to be, <laughs> I'm here to be interviewed for my apostleship. Well, I have some questions for you. No, that's not the way that, that they became apostles. One of the things that we saw in this week's homework was what? They were apostles in chapter 10. Did they stop being disciples? No. They were apostles and disciples. What is an apostle? It is not a church office. It is not an ecclesiastical office. It is not an office of the assembly. It's not a hierarchy of believers. That's not what an apostle is. An apostle is the definition of somebody that does something. What is it that he does? In fact, we saw that Yeshua himself is called an apostle, is he not? He's a sent one. Isaiah, chapter 6, is an apostle. He's a sent one, right? The uh, sent one. The plural is shalachim. And in fact, that's a great way to start thinking about it. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with English. And Hebrew is not elevated simply because it's, because it's a different language than English. Hebrew is elevated because it's the language of the Bible. And that's all. And it conveys a thought that sometimes English does not nothing wrong with the English word apostle uh, shalachim apostles actually shalachim the plural is actually a better way to think of it because then you're reminded it's about being sent shalach it's about being sent it's not about a hierarchy because you should be talmidim of Yeshua disciples and you should be at the same time shalachim sent ones of Messiah and they were sent as messengers we're going to look at that in a second here they're sent as messengers but also as witnesses Uh, we saw when we did a contrast to chapter 2 excuse me Luke rather not chapter 2 where was it in Luke we looked not chapter 2 anyway we looked in Luke what did we see that they were sent how many were sent in groups of what two is there a significance to two What's the significance to two two witnesses. two witnesses. Why is there have to be two witnesses?: that was a legal.: standard. It's a legal standard. a legal standard for what? That's right. Uh, you have to understand uh, all of our basis for, for, uh, uh, for, for the legal system that we in the Western world use is actually a biblical basis. Yeah. Uh, we've twisted in some significant ways. A primary way we signif- we, we've twisted it is this idea of witnesses. Understand that you must be an eyewitness. Well, does the scripture make a distinction between an eyewitness and a witness? No. Everyone that as a witness actually must have participated or seen. So there's no it's like okay you can make a statement of expert testimony. You know, Go before the court and make expert testimony. Well did you see this happen? No. It has no bearing though. I'm just telling you about the, the theory behind it all. Well in a biblical system that would not work. The only people that can address what happened are the people that saw it. Period. If you did not see it it did not happen. Is that fair? Well I think that it is overall, because it's God's way. You have to see it. Why? Because we're all biased. And even what we see is biased. These two, they're sent by two by two, we saw are carried out throughout the scriptures. Uh, When we looked at John 8 a few weeks ago, real quickly, and then we're going to move into the lesson more. Uh, Go to John chapter 7, actually John chapter 8 verse 1. A couple of weeks ago we looked at this and I just want to uh, remind you what it says. Um, and I'm not in the right place. Uh, yeah, John chapter 8 verse uh, 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act really who saw it that's why that's why there's no record of anyone ever being stoned for adultery um, I'm sure there may have been but there's no record of it uh, then in verse 7 Yeshua says so when they had <clears throat> continued asking he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin among you let him throw a stone at her why He's without sin. In other words, no one can ever judge anyone. That's what people say this is all about. It's nonsense. He's asking for qualified witnesses. What's a qualified witness? Someone that, first of all, that was there and saw it. Number two, that, that's the first qualification. Number two, what did you do about it? Because Leviticus chapter 19 says that if you see it, if you see your brother sinning, you must speak. up. You must go and say, stop That's a valid witness. If you do not say stop, your eyewitness is invalid. A witness in a court must first be able to say, I saw it and I told them to stop. Otherwise, they're not a valid witness. Bingo. Guess what? How many witnesses in the United States in court or anywhere in the Western world would qualify as a witness then? Very few. Because what do we do? Oh, no, I can't judge. Oh, I don't want to get involved. (laughs) And Leviticus 19 tells us we have a responsibility to be involved. We talked about this. A responsibility to be involved in our brothers and sisters. Period. And when we see our fellow brother or sister in sin, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand up and say, stop. Stop. Right Now you become a valid witness. Sorry, but that's the truth. Now you're a valid witness. Guess what? There are no valid witnesses here. So she got off scot-free? No. But she couldn't be punished with a capital, uh, capital offense. Yeshua was not applying a certain measure of mercy that was not already provided within the Scriptures. He appropriately applied the Scripture. Why? What was its purpose? Its purpose was to make each person responsible for the other. They had failed in their responsibility. Who were the sinners standing there in the temple grounds that day? Everybody. Why? Because, first of all, the woman had indeed been involved in adultery. She was a sinner. And all those that were accusing her were sinners, too. They were sinners, but they were also sinned with regard to her. Because if they said that she would been guilty, they had to prove that they were an eyewitness and that they had told her and him, the other person is not present, are they, to stop <laughs> That's the basis. So, this, this idea of being a witness is really important. That's why he sends them into. What does he go to tell them to do? He gives them first special, special powers, specific powers, to cast out demons and heal the sick. Calls in chapter 10, verse 1 of Matthew says, To cast out, un- to give power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal all kinds of diseases. What's an unclean spirit? Based on what we've been looking at for the last three weeks, what's the word unclean, do you think, in Hebrew? If you remember the Hebrew. If you don't... Tameh. Tameh. We talked about it being, some people would say unclean, that's what English says, or ritually unclean, but probably a better word is fragmented. Not whole. Not ready to be in the presence of God. An unclean spirit. What do we see in chapter 6 of Isaiah early on? We see angels saying holy, holy, holy and they never stop are they unclean? no they are in the presence of God they're tahor they themselves are the holy angels they're dedicated to him alone so what's an unclean spirit? it's an enemy enemy of God enemy of us, right? an unclean spirit it's interesting the word unclean though, isn't it? now that you know unclean not whole fragmented not ready to be in the presence of God Interesting that it uses that word. It gives you a little bit more insight maybe into it. And also they heal all kinds of diseases, uh, cast out, all, excuse me, heal all kinds of sicknesses and kinds of disease. Now, in chapter 6, it names the names of them here, but in chapter, in chapter 10, verse 6 rather, it says, actually go to verse 5, These twelve Yeshua sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. Well, the Gentiles, uh, I hope we all know who that is. Uh, Who are the Samaritans? Uh, Yes, some would say half-Jews. By the way, the Samaritans would argue with you and say, I beg your pardon, I'm 100%. Who were they, though? Anybody know the history behind Samaritans? When the captives were taken away, they were the ones that were brought in to take their place into the region. It could be argued that they maybe were half-or, maybe not even at all. More importantly, though, the Samaritans adopted whether they were Jewish or not they adopted the Jewish religion as they were living in the land well, the first time we read about real Samaritans as they're described as we understand in the first century is probably after the captives came back from Babylon around the 5th century uh, before the common era they came back from Babylon and these are the people that harassed them Ezra and Nehemiah harassed them as they were building the, the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem the temple again it's like build, rebuilding it, and like, these were the bad folks right? Uh, and and so some enmity grew up between those who were occupying the land at the time or were left in the land if you if you were to take the Samaritan argument they would have said well we were left here you know uh, all of Judah got taken to Babylon but we stayed here in the northern Cities, uh, Samaria, uh, primary, Nobles. Uh, I think it's Nobles today. Didn't is it Nobles? they worship the place other than Ah? That's another thing. Is the Samaritans, although they, although they took the religion of Judaism or remained within Judaism, if if they were to take their argument, they did it with some oddities. Number one, they say the place. Well, the place was Mount Gerizim, because after all, that's where God. You know, there's Mount Gerizim and Mount uh, Ebal and that's where God told the children of Israel to go and set up an altar well because the place is never named as Jerusalem that's their argument unfortunately they don't read uh, they don't read the promise that God makes David uh, concerning Samuel and the rebuilding and the building of the first temple uh, because God certainly blesses the first temple and says this is the place I've placed my name so now the place is identified as Jerusalem and it can't be it can't be Mount Gerizim. But the Samaritans still think it's Mount Gerizim. We see this when we look in John chapter 4 where Yeshua is traveling through Samaria and the Samaritan woman is saying, where should we worship? This is a big argument. They don't say, who should we worship? Mm-hmm. Right? And today there are Samaritans. Mm-hmm. In the land of Israel there are Samaritans. They don't live in Samaria because that's actually uh, um, Arab occupied, but they, they, they live in, uh, they actually live nearby and they actually have uh, have rituals very, very reminiscent of Judaism before the Templar. Uh, uh, they have, for instance, Passover time to actually kill lambs. You know, it's, uh, They have sacrifices on an altar. Um, all those things. But they also are, if you were to compare them with Judaism at large, they're very, very similar. Very similar. Um, but that uh, they would claim their, their heritage goes all the way back to Abraham not being, not, being, not being half Jews but here's the argument it says don't go to them don't go to the Samaritans don't go to the Gentiles so who's left? you, you, you can see why I'm siding with the, with the Jewish view the Samaritans were not Jewish because this is what is implied here right? don't go to the Samaritans don't go to the Gentiles that seems kind of harsh if you have a Gentile heritage you should be a little bit, I think a little bit offended by this. You should. We, we know that it's going to be solved later. <laughs> <But> if <laughs> this all by itself, all by itself, you should be a little worried about this. Right? Uh, yeah, we know how it's all explained and we don't like how it's explained later by other people. But here, we should we should be a little concerned. Well, what about me? You Yeshua sent his 12 out with a specific message and it was not given to me. Who is it given to? The Jewish people. What was that message? Heal the sick. And Excuse me. But go rather to the lost sheep in the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There it is. That's the kingdom message. That's the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king's coming. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Freely what? What did they get? What did they get? They're disciples. What did they receive? The teaching of the master. That's why they were in. That's why they were disciples, because he was. They had something they wanted to learn. That's why they people signed up for the job. It's not a very good job. They signed up for the job. Uh, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belt, nor bag for your journey, nor two, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it worthy and stay there until you go out. Who's worthy? How does he define worthy? Righteous. righteous that's exactly right. So who's, hey, who's righteous in this town? Oh, I could tell you where <laughs> three doors down. How do you know? Well, come on, everybody knows. I mean, it's not because he has the fish on his bumper sticker. Or a fish bumper sticker on his car. Right? How did they know? How did they know who's worthy? Inquire. In other words, the people of the town know who's worthy. Huh? I thought only God could see the heart. Yes, he can. But what happens within the heart is always expressed in what we do. Always. That's really disturbing for those of us that have secret sin I see everyone raise their hand (laughs) for those of us that have secret sins think about it God is not mocked whatever a person sows that's what they will reap it is always shown it is always revealed in some way so inquire ask who's worthy wow so we can know we can know who's righteous. That's that's a little bit different from when maybe what I've heard before, right? We can know who's righteous. They're not supposed to. T- they're supposed to heal, cleanse, raise, cast out. They're supposed to teach a message: the kingdom's at hand. They're supposed to take no provisions. They are dependent on the hospitality. Is that cool? That's that's pretty neat. Why? You know, we get away from it in the Western world because we all have our lives and we don't like people to invade our space. We stand a certain distance away from people when we speak. We expect certain things with certain behavior. People not to call me on the phone at, after 9 o'clock at night, right? We have our space, we have our world, and we don't want people to invade our bubble. This is not the biblical model. The biblical model is to invite people to invade your bubble all the time. Not, not just invite, let them show up <laughs> uninvited. And we have the perfect model in our father Abraham, don't we? And who did he invite? As it says, that even entertaining angels unaware. Isn't that amazing? Wow! If you're hospi- if you have, if you have good hospitality, you are modeling our Father Abraham, and you are modeling that of a sent one. Going on, verse uh, verse eleven. Now, whatever city. Or town you enter, inquire who is in it worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Does it say curse anyone? No. no. And who? In other words, if, if, if in fact the household is worthy, they're righteous. They, they're, they're concerned about the will of God. Then bless it. Bring, bring peace to it. And wherever you will not, rec- and whoever will not receive nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Does it say curse them? No. Okay. No. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the day of judgment, than for that city. Does it say that you should curse them? No, no of course not. Uh, behold. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Verse 16. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Don't think that synagogue is a Jewish thing. It's not. It's anywhere the assembly of people who call themselves God's people will be. Oh, they're going to deliver them up to their synagogues? There's not two kinds of synagogues. There's just one. In other words, some people may say they're your friends. They may say they are the same as you, but they are not. Let's look at this message. Chapter 10, verse 7. The kingdom is at hand. Go to Mark chapter 10, verse 6. I don't think that's correct. Oh, man. Maybe it's 9 6, huh? All right. Who did their homework and knows what the verse is? (laughs) Let's skip to. Actually, let's skip to John chapter 3 2. Maybe that's correct. See, I do need proofreaders, don't I? This is Nicodemus. Um. Everybody know Nicodemus? I hope everybody knows Nicodemus is a very, very famous man. He's actually, throughout the Talmud, as a righteous man. Um, he goes on to be a righteous man. Uh, 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 the Talmud tells us that he actually financed the revolt against Rome. He paid for, he, well, not by himself, but him and another man actually paid for the feeding of Jerusalem for the siege until the stores were burned by the, by the zealots. But he actually paid his own money uh, to to actually help keep Jerusalem. Uh uh, fed. Uh, and he got, comes to Yeshua in j- chapter uh, 3 verse 3 of John and Yeshua answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Yeshua answered most assuredly I say to you unless as one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God what is to be born of water uh, I would not say this Nothing wrong with immersion, obviously. It's commanded, but that's, I don't think that's... Just speaking of immersion, it's actually speaking just born like people are normally born. Yes. Born in water. Yes. And born of the Spirit. What is it to be born again? Is that what this message is? Chapter 4 of John. Actually, excuse me, it's Matthew 4.17. Chapter uh, Matthew 4.17. <laughs> says, From that time Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 3 of Matthew... Verse two says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is a hand." That's the John. I didn't say said John three two, but that was good too. Uh, chapter four twenty three of Matthew says, "And Yeshua went about all Galilee, preaching, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the kingdom of he- kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people." And chapter nine verse thirty five of Matthew. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were, they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. What's the, who's the greatest shepherd in Scripture other than our master here? Who's the greatest shepherd in the, in the, uh, in the Tanakh? It's David. Who's David. He's king. <laughs> the king and the shepherd. These are synonymous, right? So what is he saying? He's moved with compassion. They are scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He says over in verse ch- chapter 10, verse 6, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What do these people need? They need a shepherd. They need a king. Do you know what you need? <laughs> I mean, this is amazing when you think about it. There's really one need that mankind needs. One need. They only need one thing. One king. That's all they need. All the things that we do when we convey the gospel message, as we usually do, are all summed up in that one thing. You need a king. I'm sorry, your life is a mess, because you need a king. You need to be born again, as we saw in John, wrong reference, great scripture. We need to be born again. Why do we need to be born again? Because it's not enough just simply to be a human being. You need a human being that has a king. One king. The only king, right? That's yeah. why we pray the way we pray. He is, he is the king of the universe. I mean, who's above him? No one. He's one king. We need a king. And that's exactly why he's moved with compassion. Why? Because he's a king. And he knows that these people need a king. Does he come like a king? He sent them out with a message. What is the message? The king has come. See, here's that problem with, the, with what we usually hear, is that Yeshua came the first time as the suffering servant, which he did. He did. But he came, he'll come the second time as king. I'm telling you, unequivocally, he always is the king. Yeah. He's the king here. That's why he has disciples. It's not recognized by everybody as the king, but he is the king. And he's moved, as a king is moved, when he sees his people scattered and without a king. What is it to be born again? You have to be a part of the king's household. And everybody joins the, king the king's household the same way. They have to be adopted. Everybody has to be adopted. That's why it's a shocking message to Nicodemus. What? I, I was born Jewish. Excuse me? No, you need to be adopted by the king. You have to, everybody has to be adopted by the king. The king has to adopt everyone in order for them to be in his household. So, the message is repent, repent. The king is coming. The offer, first of all, was given to individuals, wasn't it? As he goes by, as these sent ones are sent to each town or village, they're to inquire of who is worthy. They're to go and stay. And if the household is worthy, they're to leave their peace upon them. If it's not, they're supposed to leave and shake off the dust from their feet. It will be better. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah then that household or that town that they shake off the dust of their feet. But what is this peace that was placed upon this household? What's the purpose? This hospitality test. Is it to get people to sign a, a, a membership roster? Is that what we're talking about? See, this is, this is the problem is it's, it's given to us normally in in, 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 classical, in classical terms. It's given to us as this is the kingdom message to national Israel. And I would say that it's not. This is the message sent individually by 12 men sent individually to towns and villages. And there's a place to place their peace upon a home or a place... And if not, shake off the dust of their feet. But they're not sent to Israel, in general, national Israel. As if this is your last chance to, as a group, not be cursed. That is false. That is absolutely false. And what we have instead is this hospitality of te- this hospitality test being offered to individuals. Why? Because he wants to bring his peace to them. He wants to give another message. The king is coming. What is it to be a disciple? Uh actually, let me go and first of all, what to expect. We have a few minutes here. What were they supposed to accept? Uh, chapter 10, verse 17 of Matthew. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to counsel, scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Whoa, wait a minute. We're not supposed to go to Gentiles. Ooh, there's a glimmer. It's just a glimmer, but if you, if you do not have a Jewish genealogy, there's some hope here. A testimony to Gentiles? Why? Well, if I study the prophets, I know that this is all supposed to work out in the end. Isaiah, Isaiah teaches very clearly that all the nations are going to be drawn. Right? Mm -hmm. So, Yeshua is definitely in line with the prophets. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour that you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of God who speaks in you. Now, brother will deliver, deliver a brother to death, and father his child and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Boy, well, these verses all by themselves mean something totally different, don't they? That's future, right? Well, that's what we think. And you know, it's hard to imagine this actually happened in chapter 10. So maybe it was future for these people hearing it. Maybe it is future for us. In other words, if you identify with an apostle, a disciple of Yeshua, a Talmud, a if you're a sent one, these are applying to you. Now. And in the future. And to them as well. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For as assuredly I say to you, you will not be gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Oh, the city of Israel. Now this is, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? The cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. <laughs> a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. What is the job of a disciple? To be like your master. Period. You're not above him. Did he suffer? Was he persecuted? Was he questioned by religious authorities? Yes. Was he deemed to be right? No. He was seen by some to be a heretic. (laughs) Join the club. I'm sorry. If you're a messianic, or call yourself a messianic, just get ready to be called a heretic for any number of reasons. Pick one. More than one. I can promise it happens. What is the job of a, a disciple? And I love these. Memorize the master's words, the teacher's words, to be a tana, a repeater. This is is in the Talmud. To be a repeater. You can say what he said all throughout the Talmud, all throughout the Talmud. After the Mishnah section, in the Gemara, what is it? It's one guy says... My master who, was the master, who was the disciple of so-and-so, who was the disciple of so-and-so, who was the disciple of so-and-so, he said such and such. And then another person says, No, no, my master, who was the disciple of so-and-so, said such and such. Well, they got some pretty good stuff they memorized. And unfortunately, we're not very good at that. It is to be one who knows his master's words. Do you know throughout the Gospels, that's exactly what we're reading? We're reading these men who are with him, and they are quoting what they memorized he said. Sometimes it's in different places, but they remember his words and they write them down. Learn the teacher's traditions and interpretation of scripture. Yes, our master had traditions. Did you know that our master prayed before he ate to thank God? Well, you think that's an amazing amazing thing? Well, guess what? It's a tradition. It's a tradition that we hold to. It's a tradition, actually, that Pharisees held to as well. He, He upheld the Pharisaic tradition. As Judaism does, praying before you eat is a great thing. What are we commanded to do? To thank God after we eat. So, interesting thing, most people pray before they eat, but they don't pray after they eat. Which one's commanded? Praying after you eat. I think it's good to have bookends. (laughs) So, our master traditions. Do you learn your master's traditions? Do you try and understand your master's traditions? Not his commands, his traditions. Why? Because it's the way that he saw scripture. It's correct, that's true, but it's the way that he saw scripture. Because if I understand the way he understands scripture, then I have a better idea how I can convey his teachings to other people. It's very important to understand your master's traditions. To learn to imitate the teacher. It is to be perfectly reflective of him. I never speak for myself. You should never speak for yourself. You should always speak for him. It, to be in his name is not a magical formula. Closing your prayers in Yeshua's name, that's wonderful, but understand what it means. It means, I want what He wants, I'm imitating Him. That's all. It's not a magical formula. Oh no, that prayer was not valid, you didn't say it in His name. Mm -hmm. No, that's not what it means. To pray in His name, this is disciple stuff, this is in the Talmud as well, to speak in your Master's name is to speak exactly what He spoke. That's it. So when you pray something that is not God's will, it's not automatic by saying, if it's your will. <laughs> right? You are not praying in His name. You should pray what He wants. To take up what He wants. Chapter 10, verse 24 says, we are not above our master. Thank you. I'm going to close here in a second. Now I'll go to chapter 10, verse 37. Unfortunately, I wish I could spend hours on this. This, this is This is... As a disciple of, of Yeshua, this is my greatest failing. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is not a description of martyrdom. This is a description of daily Daily surrendering your own will to Him. That's it. What did we read about those who are worthy? If the household is worthy, place your shalom upon it. But if it's not worthy, shake the dust off to your feet. Does the Master come into your home and see that you are not worthy? Because you do, are not worthy... Because you've got to hold him in high esteem. In the highest esteem. That your life is not a daily surrender to him. And does he sadly shake the dust off his feet as he leaves? Or does he find peace? And does he place his peace upon you? That's what we want. We want him to stay. It is this loyalty test that we find to be the most difficult as followers. But it's really one of the ones that we understand to be the real test of our hearts. The real test. Will we say, you know, as close as I may feel at times, I need to to stretch even more to be obedient. Some have taken the events around the kingdom offer and made them say something they do not. It is not a polemic against the people of Israel, a way to promote a dangerous heresy called replacement theology. And that's only one one theology that's dangerous. Uh, This is not about curses against Israel, because they refuse Messiah. Absolutely, categorically not. Uh, The kingdom offer is an important step in the process of redeeming. He wants to redeem Israel individually and nationally. This is an important step. Why? Because it gives us the model. These are not just 12 men sent. These are myriads and myriads of men and women being sent in Matthew chapter 10. Because if you are a disciple of Talmud, of the Master, you are being sent with this message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is in the hand. And what will it result in? Ultimately, the king will come and he will redeem all who are his. And Israel will all be saved. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your message. Thank you for Yeshua's message of redemption. And that we are given an opportunity to join you in in this endeavor. Father, as sent ones, teach us to be faithful disciples. Living faithfully, consistently before you. We pray this in the name of our master Yeshua. Amen. Thank you.